This is episode 107 of the Landscape Photography Show, and before we get started in today's podcast, I just want to thank everybody who supports the podcast on Patreon. As a thank you, I just send out a bonus clip from the podcast, lasts roughly about 20 minutes, but it's really in-depth conversation with each guest, including some bonus material from today's guest, Gary Randall. If you want to sign up and get the bonus audio from that clip and this podcast episode specifically, go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up for a tier that fits your budget. So Gary Randall is somebody that I've been interacting with for a few months now on Facebook and during our talk, our discussion, found out that he's been doing that for a long time, ever since the Flickr days, really connecting with other photographers and learning about them and building friendships online. We, we talk about that a lot in the podcast episode and in our discussion, but what was fascinating was I really wanted to have Gary on this podcast specifically because several months ago I put out kind of this questionnaire hey who should I get on the podcast his name came up more than any other person that I received so I was really excited to schedule this time with Gary and talk to him and I really enjoyed learning a lot more about him The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Gary Randall. Gary joining us from the Pacific Northwest, fresh off a trip from the Southwest. Uh, Gary, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Good, good. Why don't, good. why don't we get started just for anybody who is unfamiliar with you and your story, fill us in on, on how you got to where you are in your photographic journey. Oh, let's see. I've been doing this full time for probably pushing 20 years, 15 plus years. And I tell people I'm a reformed engineer. I actually did some engineering and drafting work for the pulp and paper industry for a, a long time. I worked in the machine shops. I started in paper mills, so I was doing physical labor. And uh, got to, I don't know, my mid-40s and had a lot of stuff bad happen in my life. My I had a brother pass away. He was my only sibling. And then my, let me think, I went through a divorce. And then my dad passed away. And then the job that I had kind of went away. And so... My kids were grown, and I was sitting on the couch with my dog one day, and I said, do I really want to keep doing that? And so I told him I was going to take a leave of absence for a couple months, and I never went back. So this is what I wanted to do. So I've been doing photography ever since. And 20 years ago, it was a totally different game than it is now. So I was able to kind of dream bigger. Nowadays, I think I'd be a little bit more have a, a little bit more hesitancy to try to get into it full time with everybody that's in it. Now there's so many people in, in photography, especially landscape photography, outdoor photography that it it's daunting, you know, it's can be intimidating if you're just starting out. But back then we didn't have YouTube videos or to figure out processing or anything. We just grabbed our cameras, went out and started posting pictures on Flickr. <laughs> it's been, it's been a while since the Flickr days, has it not? 
Yeah, but you know, that's where, that's where, at least up here in the Pacific Northwest, that's where a lot of us got our, our start back then. That was really the only real platform online that we could uh, display our photos. So everybody gravitated over towards Flickr and Facebook kind of took over after that and Instagram and stuff. So, but I've never left Flickr, you know, it's a good place for me to be able to store my photos, display my photos. They look good there. And I, if I happen to be someplace with an internet connection and my phone in my hand, I can go through and flip through uh, for like a portfolio. It's kind of even more convenient than my own website, unfortunately, <laughs> but still works pretty good. So, but yeah, a lot of us um, got our, our start back then. There's a lot of uh, big names out there in landscape photography that uh, started back then. So, yeah. What do you think, brought that big change in the industry, bringing so many people into photography and, and kind of wanting to do that full time. Well, not to sound cynical, but there's a lot of vanity involved in, in social media and going out and especially on Instagram, trying to interpret this lifestyle, you know, and a lot of people find it desirable and a lot of people make it look pretty darn easy. So a lot of people want to get into it and I have a lot of people get a hold of me and ask for advice about how to make a living in photography. And especially, I think they have in mind uh, landscape photography and being able to be out there all the time, taking photographs in nature and to be able to uh, make a living at it. And so uh, the only thing that really helped me is that I pretty much lost a lot. Didn't have a whole lot of obligation, didn't have a lot of debt. And so, um, I didn't really uh, need to make a whole lot of money. I just was uh, trying to reform my life. I hiked for 11 years straight down in the canyons of southern Utah. Um, I guess trying to lose myself to find myself down there. And so the southern Utah canyons down in Cedar Mesa, Grand Gulch primarily, I love that canyon, um, helped me be able to reform a different outlook towards what I wanted to do for my future. And while I was in the canyons, I was seeing such beautiful, beautiful scenes that I wanted to try to take photos of them. And, and, uh, the more I went down there, the more I wanted to represent it in the way that I saw it, you know, in the most beautiful way that I could. So that's what kind of drove me towards, um, landscape photography. And when I first started, I was still shooting film. And so well, I don't know, about halfway through those travels in, to southern Utah, I uh, picked up um, digital digital SLR. I picked up a D40X Nikon. And, and then after that, I just learned how to do some processing. And, yeah, just took off from there. Uh, you make it sound pretty form. simple yourself. I try to keep it simple. <laughs> <laughs> Complexity trips me up, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, it's not, you know, you just, you know, I tell a lot of people, a lot of people come up to me, I, I keep saying a lot of people, but I had, I do have a lot of people that follow me and I get a lot of questions and uh, a lot of folks um, have quite an obligation, but they still want to do it. So they've got a family and car payment and house payment and all this stuff. And I told them I got into it. I didn't have any of that stuff. And so it's hard to jump into this situation and immediately start bringing money in as a photographer, a landscape photographer too, especially. So 
you know, I, um, I just try to keep it as simple as I can. I'm in, I'm not in this for the money, obviously I'm not making a ton of money. I'm not out there pushing huge, big workshops and stuff. I do workshops, but I'm a, I'm a photographer. I'm an artist first. This is my lifestyle. I wanted to do this, uh, to change my life, you know, starting to get old. And so I can see my, you know, the end days coming. I'm not talking morbidly, but you know, I'm 63 now and time is really flying pie. So I want to make sure the quality of life I have is, is what I want. So this is why I'm in it and I'm able to do that. So a lot of people, um, want to do it full time and jump right into it. And I tell them that I already have a job, uh, other than my landscape photography and that's photography. So I will have, you know, I do a lot of real estate photography. I'll do portraiture, event photography, if it pays me enough. But, uh, yeah, everything I do is about photography. You know what I find interesting is, is the, you mentioned you were doing physical labor, uh, as your job before photography. I, I find it interesting that, that, that mindset that you have to have for physical labor, um, kind of lends itself very well to transitioning into landscape photography. You know, I was, I was a mover in college and then I did a lot of outside work with a city government and then went into photography. And I just feel like that mindset and correct me if, you, if I'm wrong or if you feel differently, but you just have a, a simplistic lifestyle that you want to live and, you know, physical labor is what it is. And, um, pays the bills, but at some point you kind of think, you know, what, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? How, how do I want to have that good quality of life and not, not really financially, but, but for happiness. Right. Well, physical labor, a person that's in a job that, or gets a job where they have to work hard physically, um, that they're motivated, you know, if they're not afraid to work, then it's going to help them if they're going to be doing any kind of landscape photography work. You know, I don't know how many, how many miles I have under my feet on trails to try to get out. You got to get up early. Sometimes a lot of people aren't motivated to get up at that time of the day or stay up late or, you know, do what it takes to get out there and get some of these photographs. Um, that's, I think that has a lot to do with it. A work ethic, you know, will go a long way in anything you do, but, it, it really, really is um, a little bit more so in landscape photography because it's a little bit different, different game than something like maybe real estate or portraiture or something like that. So, so it motivates, you know, you're motivated to go out and do it and uh, you have the willingness to go out and do it. You'll be more successful. Where do you think you cut your teeth in, in work ethic? Oh, well, I had a, I had a father, <laughs> I had a father that was, um, he was a military veteran for 20 years and Vietnam, Korean war and Vietnam veteran. His father was a POW in world war two in Germany. And our whole family were disciplined in that way. And so when I was growing up, um, my dad, well, my parents both, but my dad primarily he was really making sure that we were trying to uh, toe in the line and being responsible. If I um, wanted a car when I was in high school, he didn't buy one for me. I had to go out and 
get a job, get one myself, but you know, stuff like that. So I think that I was just raised to understand that uh, if you want something, you got to work for it, you know? And so that's kind of the way I was the whole time I, I was in the, in the workforce out there. I was working hard, working long shifts, working all kinds of overtime. Whenever they needed me, I had to be there. I was there and I busted my ass for a long time. So what I'm doing now is a pleasure, even though it's, it can be difficult. It's still a pleasure. I mean, hiking, hiking on trails or traveling to different places and being at these places at the right time is, yeah, it's good. It takes discipline, and uh, but if you enjoy doing it, it's it's a pleasure. I feel thankful that I'm able to do what I do. If you can compare and contrast before you said you went out to Utah and kind of lost yourself to find yourself, who were you as a person before that and, and who are you now? Well, I'm more true to myself now. I, I felt back then, I think that I was doing everything that I was doing was for everybody else. And then at the very end of it, I mean, you know, you, I, I went through a divorce. I was doing it for my family and my ex-wife. I was doing it for my boss. Even when my folks were, my dad was still around, I still had, uh, was still doing a lot of things uh, according to his expectations, you know, things in my life. But since all that stuff kind of fell away and I was sitting on the couch with my little dog thinking about what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, I felt like at that point that I needed to start doing, living my life for myself. And so I think that's the big difference, you know. Can you see just like an extreme happiness attached to that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing, if you're doing things for yourself and you're doing what you love, then, um, I, I can think of very few times when I'm, I'm truly unhappy, you know, barring personal tragedies in a person's life, you know, this, it's just, um, yeah, I have something to compare what I'm doing now to what I was doing before. And so, yeah, I wake up every day thankful, <laughs> you know, and I meet such awesome people in this job. You know, I was down in uh, Utah and uh, we have kind of a, a good network of landscape photographers. And as soon as everybody found out that uh, I and a couple other friends of mine were down there, it was like we we had landscape photographers coming down to meet and talk and you know socialize and just meet even a couple people that i've known for years that i had never met in person before i i think i started alex noriega and i started at the same time and we've been friends for years but we've never met in in face to face you know so we finally got to meet face to face was able to shoot a couple days and have some dinner and you know, cement that friendship and had a couple other friends down there as well that I was able to meet. So, you know, David Kingham and Jennifer Renwick and let me think who else, I don't want to leave anybody else out, but when you have a tight network of people like that, everybody that I associate with in landscape photography that I've been able to become friends with are just really solid, sincere, good people. So, it's unlike working in a paper mill where, you know, everybody seemed to get on everybody's nerves or hate each other, or just tolerate each other at work every day. 
this is a totally different situation. So, I think the the obvious question is, do those relationships enrich your life? But it's clear that they do. I want to rephrase it and, and ask how they enrich your life and how those people pour into you as not only a person, but, but a creative, a photographer. Well, encouragement and inspiration primarily, you know, you, um, admire their work and, uh, if they're good people, then, um, just the communication between them as well as the, uh, inspiration that you get from the work that they do. I think that's the biggest, you know, that's the biggest benefit that I get from personal, um, associations within landscape photography. You know, it's not, it's not like, it's not like I've got a, it's not, they're, they're not like friends. We go down and sit down at the Brightwood Tavern and drink beer with all afternoon. <laughs> you know, it's just a different situation, completely, totally different dynamic. So, and I've met very few people, uh, at least in this level of landscape photography that aren't, um, sincere and good people. You know, I've, I know when you're struggling to, um, establish yourself within the landscape photography community, sometimes it's frustrating and, uh, it can create resentment or jealousy or, you know, but I think that once a person realizes that they're able to do this, they aren't, they aren't looking at other photographers as, um, competition. You start looking at them as inspiring people, people that inspire you or to drive you to go and push your photography to a, a different level, perhaps. I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that's the, that's a big difference, you know. I think it definitely did. Can, can you see an example in your own work where, where that happened to you, where you were pushed to another level? Oh, you know, Ryan Dyer has been pushing me since... 2009, you know, uh, him and I are, are really good friends and his work has always been, you know, just out of reach of, of mine. And so it's always given me something to, to look at and maybe to aspire to. And, uh, you know, there are other photographers as well. Alex Noriega, his, uh, vision for his, his photo- photography has, has changed and grown. And, progressed and I wish that I could say that I've been able to do that on my own with my own work. But, uh, yeah, there's, you know, there, there could be, there could be just a photographer that just put out one photograph that just, you know, just really impressed me that may have inspired me somehow. You know, if you're not afraid to humble yourself and to realize that, uh, you know, you've got a lot to do to be able to get yourself to where you want to go. You know, you let yourself allow yourself to be influenced by other people. So, yeah, I could, I could probably sit here and, and, and name names all day long of, of people that uh, inspire me. And there's also people that encourage me that aren't photographers as well. You know, you kind of gather through social media, you gather a lot of people that become, I hate to say fans, but, you know, people that really are fans of your work, you know, and they, they support you and they encourage you and yeah, but yeah, there's so much, 
so much positivity in my life uh, that's centered around my what I do that uh, it's all very inspiring and encouraging for me. So I've never, I don't think I've ever once seriously thought about not doing this or or stopping and doing something else. You know, I may have been frustrated and threatened to, but I really wasn't doing, I wasn't being serious. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it brings up kind of the dilemma. How do you, how do you look at somebody's work and morph it into your creative vision? Cause you, you want to see their work and you want to be inspired by them, but at yeah. the same time you want to twist it into your own vision as well. Well, I think that, uh, in my particular situation, uh, I've always had a natural eye for composition. So my composition skills really have been kind of solid and I really haven't got gotten a lot of inspiration from people's, uh, composition so much as they have, as, as I have perhaps their processing workflow and the technical side of it. So I started in a dark room a long time ago and I worked with some of the old gray hairs back then that showed me some techniques in the dark room for developing and enlarging the photographs including dodging and burning and masking and, you know, even doing multiple um, exposures with the same, same negative, you know, it just allowed me to understand that you don't just take a picture take it down to the drugstore and come back and have a photograph. If you want a really nice photograph, you create your photograph and the whole process goes all the way through. And so, um, when I got into, um, digital, um, landscape with the digital SLR, I had some digital point and shoots prior to that, but I understood the, I started to understand how you can shoot with a raw file look at it as a digital negative and to be able to, to emulate a lot of the different processes that were shown to me in the dark room when I was younger. And then that was kind of a basis for me to understand processing. And then after that, I was seeing people do some, some pretty incredible things with their processing, even if it was, uh, uh, creating some light bleeds by dodging and burning or Orton effect or, or something like that. And, selective Orton effects or, uh, even back then we had to, we had to do a lot of, uh, exposure blending because the dynamic range of the cameras was really crappy, you know? And so we had to really work a little bit harder back then to be able to process the photographs into something impressive. And so understanding the technique of that's a lot of these photographers were using and learning and developing, um, it was really what I had an interest in. So, yeah. Was it, is it easier to do now with digital photography and using social media to make those connections and friendships to kind of learn different approaches in post-processing versus doing it in a dark room without having that technology at your fingertips? Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you can sit here in your room with the lights on and a beer on your, you know, and on your desk and take your time and relax. And do you have one right now? I'm drinking a uh, fruit punch. There you go. <laughs> I just got off some, my caffeine free coffee here and I'm drinking fruit punch. So. <laughs> yeah. okay. 
I, I digress. I like a nice beer, but I don't drink a lot. So, yeah. As a matter of fact, I've got a blue ribbon from the Oregon State Fair for my Russian Imperial Stout. At one time, I thought that maybe I'd become a brewer, but I became a photographer instead. So, <laughs> which makes more money is is the question. Yeah, and I th- think there's less physical toting bales and stuff in landscape photography, even though we towed a backpack around. But you know, it'd be less. It's not as hard on my body, I don't think. So, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I have some friends who brew too, and. Um, it seems like brewers and, and also people who like the outdoors kind of go hand in hand. Well, I don't know if I had a dollar for every time I sat around a campfire with a beer in my hand. <laughs> that, very true. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, but people, you know, especially uh, the craft, craft beers and stuff, people are uh, more uh, apt to be, I think personality wise, more apt to be uh, campers or hikers or outdoor people. So. The friendship thing and and the relationships and just the connections that a lot of photographers had, you you mentioned getting to know people through Flickr, uh, basically in the in the Oregon and Pacific Northwest area. Is that a cultural thing, do you think? Because where I'm at in the southeast, I can count on one hand the amount of photographers that I know that I've been to shoot with. Uh, Well, and I'm not completely aware of where the rest of the country was back in like 2006 or 2009 when the, everything was really starting to get going up here in the Pacific Northwest. But I think that a lot of the um, the landscape photography movement that we are involved in now, I think, really took off really big up in the Pacific Northwest. And I kind of owe it to the landscape that we were photographing. Um, we have some amazing, amazing landscapes around here. We got, uh, you know, in Oregon itself, we got the ocean and the beaches, and we've got hills and valleys and cities and glacial peaks and high desert. We've got low desert. We've got, you know, we've got out mountains that look like Alps. You know, we've got a, a canyon that's deeper than the Grand Canyon here in Oregon, Snake River over at Hills. Hell's Canyon from the top of the seven devils to the, to the river level is deeper than the Grand Canyon. A lot of people don't realize that. So we've got a lot of, a lot of landscape up here in the Pacific Northwest. That's very striking. In my particular case, I live right near the Columbia river gorge. Um, and I live just at the base of Mount hood. And so I can leave my house and within 10 or 15 minutes, I could be photographing a beautiful mossy Creek in the forest, or I can be photographing a view of Mount hood or a waterfall, you know, in no time at all, I can be in amongst it. And so, um, I know I used to say a lot that, uh, uh, I owe a lot of my success to the, the landscape that I photograph, but I really do believe that. And so, uh, a lot of us were really, um, uh, you know, you know how you are when you first get into a, a, a hobby or, or some sort of thing that you really enjoy. And then you find other people to, that are, that have the same interests. So we really, uh, back then we got together, there was a lot more uh, face-to-face meetups and stuff back then, meetup groups and things. And we got to know a lot of, uh, people and we kind of encouraged each other and we got a little group together and a lot of us are still involved. Um, we aren't as tight as we used to be, but we still communicate and we still, you know, see each other and 
every now and then. So I think that uh, the culture up here may have had something to do with it uh, because a lot of us up here were already spending a lot of time outdoors, plus the uh, the beauty of the, the landscapes that we were photographing back then, I think had a lot to do with it. It's, it's funny though, the ability... I, I almost think it's a learned trait to be able to go and photograph with other people once you've been doing it by yourself for a long time. At yeah. least that that's how I experienced it. You know, getting started first couple of years, I, I was doing it all by myself. And then going out with somebody else, you kind of had yeah. to have more of an open-handed mindset to everything. Well, I think that um, and the person... It, person's personality has a lot to do with it too. But I think back then, I think that, uh, we were, um, we were st- all still learning, you know, back then we didn't, we didn't have the influences that, uh, a photographer that's going to start right now would have. And so we used the uh, time that we had with each other to help learn from each other. Uh, a person can very easily go out and buy himself a photography kit, watch a few YouTube videos and get out there and get a head start, probably a five or 10 year head start on what, what I had when I first started, you know, I mean, we were, um, we were with each other to encourage each other and to learn from each other back then. I think now it's easier to be able to just go out on your own with the, a little bit of knowledge or a lot of knowledge about, making beautiful photographs and then go out and do it as a personal, you know, a personal activity. But back then it was, what we were doing was a little bit different because we didn't really have any resources to teach us anything about digital photography or processing. YouTube was just getting started. You know, I, I, if I, I wish I would have seen what YouTube was going to become, I would have probably started (laughs) back then. I, I'm terrible uh, at videos, but I really, would like to do more of them. So I'd like to share what I've learned. You know, what happens with, uh, with my personality is that I always feel that everybody else knows more than me. So what am I doing on YouTube trying to tell people what to do? <laughs> you know, why do you uh, feel that way? I don't know. Insecurities. But then again, I probably insecurities, but insecurity with me pushes me to become better. So, you know, or, you know, a lot of people tell me I'm too humble. I need to be a little bit more proud of what I do, I, I guess, but I don't know. I'm, I'm not really not in, not in it for the, those reasons, you know, I'm re- really into it for the lifestyle. And so, yeah, I don't know. I need to, I need to uh, probably encourage myself to do some of that, some more of that stuff. Cause I know I can probably encourage a lot of people that are getting started cause I've been through it all. <laughs> You, you mentioned a little bit of knowledge or a lot of knowledge and, and going on your website, reading through not only your about me page, but also going through all of your code of ethics that you put out um, for your approach to photography and also self-expression through photography and, and just what you want to get out of it for yourself. Why come up with that extensive list, number one, and, and number two, why put it out for everybody to read? Well, I have to live with myself first. So I like to be honest. You got to like yourself. You know, I just, um, I see a lot of people 
that are um, not not truthful with what they they put out there. So you know they'll I'll give you a good example. Just the other day, I put a, a post out that uh, I had um, taken a photograph, uh, an aerial with my drone of a factory butte, and it was just a plain sky. So I was in messing around with Photoshop. And this is something I really don't do, but I just dropped a sky in there and it just happened to turn out freaking brilliant. Mm -hmm. So I posted it up, but I made sure that I put in the description that the sky was replaced. All right. And that's something that I don't do. Yeah. I just don't do, I don't try to, I try to be, you know, a lot of people have kind of gotten on me for saying this, but I don't try to alter my photos into something that really wasn't there. And so if I do, I really want to make sure that everybody knows. I try, try to be honest about it. I don't want to deceive anybody about it. I don't want to make any kind of expectations in another person to, that would make them think that they could just go out there and take that photograph and it would turn out this way too, you know? So it's trying to be honest about it. And to try to be ethical <clears throat> about the work that I do and to try to encourage other people to, to, to do the same thing because I feel that there's a lot of deception in landscape photography and it's deception to try to make um, boost a person's ego to make them look really groovy, you know. So I try to I try to be open and honest about everything that I do in my photography and I I do it first to live with myself and secondly to try to encourage openness and honesty in landscape photography. So, Well, I've always thought about, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a naturalist myself doing the same thing. If I do, you know, drop in a sky once every three years, it seems that the frequency that I do that. Um, but I will let people know that it is a composite. It's not realistic. Um, if I do it, there's something in me that, that knows that it's not natural. And, yeah. and I've always wondered why that is and why I have that feeling. And I almost feel like it goes back to what we talked about with the work ethic. Like I want to work to produce that and be there when it actually happened. Yeah. 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 You know, if, uh, what was what were you, we were about? I mean, we were talking about something the other day, and uh, oh yeah, uh, I guess there's going to be a new feature on Photoshop where you just click one button, you can turn a a green scene into a snowy scene or something like that. Yeah. So I had posted a comment under this where I saw this that you know we keep this up we don't have to even leave our houses to make photographs or landscape photos you know you can just create them all in your house and then you can put them up online on social media and claim that you you know had this awesome narrative or something you know i mean i may be in, be being cynical but i've seen some pretty crazy claims and people trying to claim something's real that isn't on online and so i I don't know. I'm just trying to encourage people to, you know, I'm, I'm of the, uh, the mindset in landscape photography that there should be two, um, categories. One should be, um, more of a graphic art, which would include composites and stuff. Mm 
and another one that would be, include um, just, I hate to say a real photograph, but just a, a, a photograph. I'm not talking about one where you may be exposure blending, but I'm talking about one where you, you're dropping a, a moon or a sky or, or creating different components and putting them together into, to create one scene. It's a composite. And I kind of see that more of as uh, graphic artwork than I do photography. And it's probably because I'm old school. I came from the, the, the old days where we really didn't really have the ability to do all that kind of stuff. It didn't really pass through our minds. And so my approach to photography was to take the photograph literally as I saw it and try to use the technical attributes of our software to be able to make it look as, as good as possible but to not misrepresent something in the scene. What's your fear out of it? Degradation of trust? Well, there's that. I mean, I, I have a lot of people that look up to me in the photography world. I've, you know, I'm not one of the, the top dogs, but I certainly got, you know, 30,000 people on Instagram and Facebook and stuff. There's a lot of people to be able to, you know, be accountable to if you want to say it that way you know but um i know a lot of people gain inspiration from what i do and i don't want to uh put out some sort of situation that's impossible for them to to reach or live up to you know i tell people that i'm just some dumb guy with a camera and if i can do it really they can do it and i think the only difference that i have in another person that wouldn't be able to maybe achieve the same thing that I have is my natural artistic sense, my natural ability to be able to see a composition. But beyond that, the rest of it's learned operation of the camera, operation of software and stuff, you know? So yeah, I try to just be honest and, you know, I like to encourage people. I don't want people to think that what I'm doing is impossible. You know, a lot of people can gain, um, a lot of personal happiness in their life that they don't have if they were to take photography and use it as a creative outlet, you know, and I like to encourage that. One of the things on your code of ethics that really jumped out to me was educating yourself and doing your own research on uh, wildlife in an area, foliage, fauna, weather conditions and the landscape in general itself. It, my question is, is do you think that's a lost art that's becoming more frequent in landscape photography? Oh, I think it's a lost art in humanity because a lot of people really aren't completely connecting to the earth and the land and the, the animals and the things that they're photographing. I, I think that they're uh, separated from it as uh, they're trying to represent it. Um, uh, I grew up out in the woods. My father was an outdoorsman, and so I had a, a complete connection with the outdoors and the trees, the animals, you know, and I think that if you have an understanding of the natural world, that you it would enhance the way you look at your scenes when you're going out to photograph them. So that's kind of the way I see it. You you get you have more of a personal connection to an area or the outdoors if you if you understand it more. And I think that uh, being able to 
Uh, I'll give you an example. I, I, up until like six years ago, I have never been around grizzly bears. And I started going up to Alaska. Um, my wife's from Alaska. And so I've been around grizzly bears the last six years. And being able to understand them allows me to be able to understand how to be able to connect with them and to be able to be safe around them and to understand their behavior. And that's just one example. And so, um, because of that, I'm not out there taking any chances. Um, I'm able to go and be there where they're at to be able to get beautiful photographs. And so understanding, um, I think will help you, uh, to be able to get the photograph and to be able to understand what you're photographing to be able to, to get a better photo. What are those areas of connection that you do have? Oh, well, if I understand you properly, you know, I, I find peace in the outdoors. I mean, there, there are times when I, I'll go out and go on a hike and I'll have my camera with me, but I won't, I just won't bring it out. I just won't take a photograph. And the situation isn't really one where, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a different, there's a different purpose for me to being out there. And so I think that, uh, personally, uh, like the hikes that I took down into Utah, into the canyons, the solo hikes that I was taking, the hikes that I take out here up on the mountain, there's more to it than just photography. It's just a matter of loving the outdoors and loving the natural world. Oh, did that answer your question? It did. That's definitely. my, my connection is that it, it grounds me. It, um, it, uh, it fulfills a, a certain part of my soul to be able to be out there in the outdoors. That's a good answer though. That, that it, drives, that drives what I do with my landscape photography. Well, the, I mean, that beats, honestly, I was expecting like you to list off a few locations that you're fond of, but your answer superseded what I was expecting you to say. Well, I don't, I have my favorite places for sure, but it's mostly regions, you know, it's instead of uh, any particular place. I mean, I do have uh, spots in the Columbia River Gorge that I feel that are completely special to me. But uh, if I had my way, I would spend most of my time in Alaska, Hawaii, Oregon, and Utah. Those are my four, the four places where I've been able to spend meaningful time in the outdoors that has changed me, changed the way I look at the world. And it's, it's also... Uh, it's encouraged me to be able to, or to go out and become a landscape photographer. So I'm curious, you know, we talked about friendships and photography and going out in solitude versus going out in a group in those transformational periods that you had as a photographer in those locations, were you alone or were you with a group? I think that the most powerful experiences that I've had in the outdoors were definitely probably most with, with by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, when I'm, I'm a bit more gregarious when I'm out with a group of people and it takes my mind off of my concentrating on 
the photography that I'm doing. If I'm by myself, then I don't have the distraction. It's not that it's a distraction, but the temptation to be able to just go over and, you know, or shoot the breeze with whoever I'm with. I, I, I'm just more into the zone, more into the area that I'm in, you know? And so the most uh, personal and the most uh, driving situations that I've been in when it's applied to my photography and landscape photography is probably when I've been by, all by myself. That's interesting. I feel the same about mine. Um, well, some of us are lone wolves. I mean, you, you can be a lone wolf and you can still, still enjoy your time with your friends and, and people, you know, but there's those times when you just got to get away on your own. So I can, I understand that. Does your solitude recharge you? Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh it, when I'm out there, I don't, when I'm in the outdoors, I don't really think of a whole lot of other, anything else. I leave it all behind. Hmm. You know, I was reading about you, uh, on your website and reading about being an outfitter guide and somebody who can also guide on a photography trip. If somebody is interested in that, Mm -hmm. um, what are the differences in the two or do you combine them into one experience? Uh, the, um, you're talking about being, uh, a professional Mm -hmm. and taking a client out as opposed to being, uh, uh, on my own. Yeah. Oh, well, when I'm with, when I'm with a client, number one, I'm with them a hundred percent. Um, I'm not the kind of guide or workshop uh, conduct conductor that uh, will go out and just go, okay, here we go. And I'm out there taking my own photographs. Um, I'll be with the, my client and I'll give them everything that they have come for. If they don't want any kind of instruction from me, uh, as far as the mechanics of getting the photograph, I'll leave them alone, let them go. But if for some reason they need any kind of help or anything like that, I'm right there on it. And I really love, teaching. I really love encouraging and I love being with people that are, uh, are with me for those purposes. And so I give them all of my time when I'm, when I'm out with them. Um, so when I'm, when I'm on the clock and I'm being paid by a client, it, it's totally different. I'm not out there to get my own photos at all. And so that's the big difference between when I'm alone and by myself or if I'm with a, a client, if I'm with a, a friends and it's not a business situation, a little bit different, you know, I'm, I'm, we're all, we're just out there having fun and we're getting our own photographs I'm with a client, that client, I'm, I'm theirs the whole time that they're there. And I just love it. You know, um, ask anybody's taken any of my workshops on, if I've got a group, then I'm going from person to person to person, asking them if they need anything or they got any questions or perhaps even suggesting different compositions and stuff that might be overlooked. So yeah, that's a big, big difference for me is that, uh, when I'm with my clients, I'm all theirs. If I'm all by myself, I'm all mine. <laughs> you know. Where can people go to find more out about you? Well, they can go to my website, 
I can Google my name. I'm all over. I'm the most famous Gary Randall in the world. <laughs> <laughs> my, my website is Gary hyphen Randall, Gary dash Randall.com. I'm on Instagram and I'm on Flickr and I'm on Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, I spend more time on some platforms than others, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always out there. And, uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'm always willing to answer questions or anything. And yeah. Yeah. Well, Gary, thank you so much for joining us and talking photography. Well, it was my privilege to be here. I really, really appreciate your your time, and I appreciate you asking me, David. I hope we get a chance to meet together someday. Absolutely. That would be amazing. So the podcast is done here, but like I said in the intro, Gary and I are continuing talking over on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and get the bonus audio by signing up to support the podcast month after month, either $5, 10 or $20 a month. And with each one of those tiers, you not only get the bonus audio from the podcast, but you also get extra benefits stacked on as you go up and tier them out. So Gary and I really talk about what are his experiences you know during during our discussion we we talked about how those personal solitude experiences changed him as a person and as a photographer and in the bonus audio i say you know take take me through those steps put me in your boots when you're going through that when you're experiencing that and i love asking that question to people especially really introspective people like Gary is because they give profound answers and everybody's approach is different during those times. So we talk about that plus much, much more. Again, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston to listen to that and support the podcast. And I can't wait to see you guys in the next episode.